Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled around a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. It has been a long, 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 long time since Alina and I buddied up on an ancient history podcast, hasn't it? Oh dear, yes it has been, but we've got a really great guest today. So we've been chatting to for like 20 minutes before we're supposed to actually record, uh, but Virginia Campbell... Not work <laughs> Well this is it, this is it, but we've, we've sussed out a couple of things that we do want to talk about. And she's back, because we did Pompeii with her... My God, like at the beginning of our recordings, I think. Uh, I'd say it was two or three years ago. I think it was during lockdown. Yeah. So yeah. just when we started, we did a podcast with uh, with Virginia Campbell. Well, Virginia Campbell, she's an ancient Roman historian, archaeologist, author. She's published a really expensive book that I actually own, funnily enough, uh, The Tombs of Pompeii, Organization, Space and Society. She's working on prostitution. She's working on politics. She's working on loads of really different stuff. But we're actually going to be talking about politics today anyway, which kind of fits in quite well to modern the modern perspective. Virginia, welcome to the podcast again thanks for having me i I enjoy talking to you always so this is great fun we've not had roman history for a little while alex is uh alex is excited actually aren't you i'm more excited about the fact that i'm waiting to see if you sack off asking the first question so you don't have to be the first person to pronounce the latin would you like me to do it no 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 i can do it and even if (laughs) i bollocks up it doesn't matter. So I'm going to bollocks up just for everybody's entertainment. Right. So first question, are we ready? Absolutely. Right. What was the commentalorium, something along those lines, petitionius? Did I say that right, Alex? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you got none of it right. You could not have got it more wrong. Is it commentariolium? No, corinteriolum petitionis. That sounds better to me. You put the stress on yeah. the wrong wrong syllable. Um, You've got a nickname for it, though, that helps everyone, haven't you? Well, yeah, everybody just in English is referred to as the Handbook of Electioneering. So I just will call it the Handbook, and that's the easiest way to to talk about it. <laughs> so, well, tell okay. us who wrote it. Yeah, so it's not, It's actually really interesting because it's one of those texts that like, we think we know who wrote it, but we're not entirely sure. So ostensibly, it's written by Quintin, Quintus Tullius Cicero, who is the younger brother of the more famous Marcus Tullius Cicero. Um, and in th- the idea from the way the text is written is it's presented as if it is written by Quintus, 
in a letter form, a very, very long, long letter um, <laughs> to his older brother when Marcus is running for consul in something like 65, 64 BC. So he gets elected to consul in 63, or he is the consul in 63, which is why it's thought that it is dated to that election period the year before. Do me a favor, say Cicero five times in a row. And if Linda's listening, I just want this to be embedded in her brain. She hates Cicero and I find it entertaining that if she ends Cicero's up Cicero's listening- really, really annoying, really annoying. And yet at the same time, I keep going back to his writing and and it frustrates the hell out of me. He's an asshole. Yeah, you know, in, in, in the um, one of my favorite, favorite things about the HBO BBC Rome series- is simply the fact that Cicero is just a smarmy little asshole throughout the entire thing. Like the actor portrays that assholery so perfectly that you just think, yeah, this is exactly how Cicero must have been. We're actually going to get Catherine Edwards to come on. She's going to do a whole thing on Cicero back to front, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, we can rip the piss out of it. She was doing Pliny, I think, at a certain time. And now she's doing, I can't remember, but she's doing something along those lines. So we're going to get her to talk about exactly who Cicero. I'm going to get Alex on that as well, just so we can rip the piss out of Cicero. He's, yeah, he's, oh God, he is a bit up himself, isn't he? Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's kind of sanctimonious. Really quite sanctimonious. Actually, when I gave a paper talking about this book, I like as an aside, I referred to Cicero as being affable. And then I was like, I'm probably the first person in 2000 years to describe Cicero as being affable. Not that he actually was, more just like the point that he's being told that he should be a nice guy. So clearly okay. his brother knows he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's get back on track. Yeah, and yeah. Talk about this of electioneering so why are we debating it <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing here's the thing really so so there's stuff in the book there are a bunch of questions about the book so quintus is the younger brother he's never run for higher office so the first thing is like well how does he know how to run for console if he's never run for console like why is he giving advice if he's never done it Hold on a second. And that's like, I don't know, a BA student giving advice to, I don't know, a professor or something or, or someone that knows nothing about on history and, and calls Alex out on, on Twitter a million times in a well, row. I was going to say, it's, it is, it's totally like, well, it's not, he's not quite as uninformed because he has run, he has been in like one of the lower, was he already quaestor or something like that you know at that point he'd been in an election so it's not like he was completely yeah it's it's, it's like the people on twitter who who be who say things to you to like professors and stuff like oh well you clearly aren't familiar with this person's work and this says this that and the other and it's like uh actually that's me and that's not what that says um but you know that kind of, of calling someone out and giving advice so that's the first question about it the second is that there are things that are in it which a first of all come across as being like really quite cynical which they're kind of like well would that be embarrassing to the brothers and also that there are little bits of information about like how certain trials have been handled or whether cicero is acting for this particular person in a trial that's coming up and it's sort of like because because quintus actually says in the very last section of it like the very last thing 
is, you know, let me know if there's anything that I've left out of this that you think is really important because I want it to be like this perfect thing, which makes everybody go, oh, well, clearly he was planning to publish it. So if he was planning to publish it. Why would you put anything in there that might be a little bit controversial or embarrassing for the brothers themselves? So that's one part of the debate. There's mm-hmm. also, but it's, it, there's also stuff. So there's this one guy who's written a ton of stuff about it. And his whole theory is that it's a parody written by somebody else in the style of Cicero in the Imperial period as a way of basically like a satire on how awful elections were in the Republican period, which just strikes me as, I mean, there's a number of aspects to that argument, but it doesn't read like any other kind of parody or satire. So that doesn't really necessarily hold water. There's still elections and certainly like in places like Pompeii where I mostly work, um, there's still elections and hotly contested elections well into the imperial period happening elsewhere you know, other than the city of Rome. So like once we have an empire, an emperor, things change in the city of Rome, but they don't change elsewhere. So like every town, every city still has annual elections. And that's still a big what deal. Some... What is it with some historians and saying ridiculous stuff just I, so that they sound I really don't know. Like they've spotted something that nobody else has, like and... even if it's ridiculous. The third part of the argument, which is really the longest part of the argument, is about the fact that, um, and we can, we'll obviously get into more about like what the handbook actually says, but it says a lot of stuff about making like really like using really superficial friendships and all of these other things and so this this person's argument is sort of like well the Romans wouldn't have didn't view friendship that way even Cicero Marcus Cicero you know wrote a whole long. Uh, philosophical treaties on friendship and so the idea of Romans like tarnishing this noble thing of friendship is just completely beyond what he could comprehend as actually being true and that's the thing that I thought was the most ridiculous because I was just sort of like why do some historians put Romans up on this pedestal like they're somehow better than everybody else and like they're more noble in their behavior and they're this wonderfully evolved and i'm like honey please human nature's not changed in 2000 years politicians are assholes now they were assholes then you know that that seems pretty standard to me and and that's it just strikes me as being absolutely ridiculous that there should be now now was this actually written by quintus mm. Certainly it was written by somebody who either was a Cicero or knew the style that Cicero's wrote in very, very well. And I mean, there are examples of like uh, students who would write things in the style of an earlier um, well-known like orator or writer or something like that. So that's something like a school exercise that people would do like in the imperial period. That's possible. But it just there are too many details and there are too many little things that just make me think yeah this is absolutely done between brothers and maybe it was something that they actually worked on together which was why there's some bits that actually seem to be almost they're like a couple sentences here and there that seem to be same the same language that marcus cicero has in other texts um and things and and certain yeah 
These people heard of Ocker Razor or ever read Sherlock Holmes? Like, sometimes the easiest answer is just that's, the answer. That's what I always say about ancient, like, history generally, like, you know, and, our, and I say this to students all the time, like, be logical about things. Like, why, why make this whole convoluted argument about something when the simplest thing probably is true, is right, you know? So, I mean, there are plenty of examples of going... In, there are plenty of examples in the handbook where it's like, I know this is kind of not how you would normally behave and this is a bit distasteful. And there are plenty of examples in other pieces of ancient literature written by a number of different people, including, you know, Marcus Cicero, where it's like, yeah, we know electioneering is really quite awful and none of us really want to like to do it. We don't like the way we have to behave, but we need to do this to get elected. There's also that same argument of don't portray our modern perspectives onto an argument. Like the whole, I'm, I'm so going to bring this up, uh, Pompeian penises. You know, there's a penis on every corner. It doesn't mean there's a sex workhouse or there's, you know, everybody's having an orgy on every street corner just because well, there's a penis there. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole thing. The, the, the phallus is ubiquitous in, in antiquity and it has nothing to do with sex necessarily. Um, but that, like, dispelling those myths is so, so difficult. So dispelling the myth, like the idea of these, you know, amazingly proper, noble men wandering around in their white togas discussing politics and philosophy in some you know, high to some high level and behaving always in the utmost perfect way. I mean, we know that politics got really dirty and violent at times. We know people, you know, were engaged in bribery and violence in the streets and, you know, mob mentality and all of that kind of stuff. There are politicians who did this. We know that people you know, we're involved in some really pretty shitty stuff as part of politics in the Roman world. So to behave like that or or have that view that that is the exception and that the norm is something really highbrow, I think is is quite ridiculous. So looking, so we've looked at what it is and the issues that historians seem to be creating yeah. for themselves. <laughs> Let's just assume it is just a handbook. So in that instance, it would be a really useful snapshot into the subject at that given time when it was produced. So there are three sections, aren't they? So yeah. the first is about the campaign, isn't it? So what does that tell us? Yeah, so um, one of the things that's that's really interesting about Cicero's whole campaign, Marcus Cicero's whole campaign, and and what happens is that both the brothers are what are considered um, novo homo, so they're new men, which means that they don't come from a long line of people who have been in the Senate and consuls and stuff. So they come from one of those families where you know there's money, they're a fairly good stock more or less for the last several generations but nobody's been elected to that high office nobody's had that kind of role before so in the very first part um quintus addresses his brother very specifically and talks about um 
you know, his campaign specifically and the fact that he is a new man and the things that are both the hurdles he'll have to overcome because he's a new man, but also the benefits he has because of what his career has been so far and who knows him and what he's done. And like, because basically he's made a career as a lawyer um, and has defended or prosecuted lots of very prominent people, including other people who have been consuls and, you know, provincial governors and all of these things. And so he's going like, you have a name, people admire you for your um, rhetoric and your, you know, all your abilities. So like you have these advantages, even though you're a new man. Um, and then he goes into kind of like, he talks about, the campaign the the other candidates that um are running all of whom are people who come from long-standing senatorial families so that's the difference let's stick with that one you've you've brought it up tell us about some of these candidates they actually talk about who did who do they mention why why are they important what are they talking about them Okay, well, there are three other candidates so there are two roles for consoles so basically you've got four men running for two jobs and it's just the way the Roman system works. Whichever two people get the most votes win. So the one that you will have most likely heard of is Catiline, um, because Catiline takes massive umbrage to the fact that he doesn't get elected. And in 62, we get the Catiline conspiracy, and there's this whole plan to potentially overthrow the government and kill the consuls and all of these other things and and basically have... a. a for, for lack of a better, um, you know, a coup d'etat and, and get rid of um, the current consuls, including Cicero. And that becomes a whole thing which goes on to impact, impact Cicero's later career um, because of the way he handles it. And there's like a mini war and all, all kinds of stuff goes wrong. So Catiline's probably the most famous um, of the others. We also have... Oh, sorry, there are actually there are four other candidates. Did I say three? There are four other candidates. We also have the guy who actually is the other person who wins, um, and that's Gaius Antonius uh, Hybrida, who is really not well-known probably for anything other than the fact that he's the uncle of Mark Antony. I mean, he's really quite out of, like, silent and not really a huge presence during the year he and Cicero are consuls together. Um and then we have, and this is just, this is from the names as as Quintus gives them in the book, we have Publius Galba. Um, and I honestly, I don't know anything else about that particular individual or which one of the family it is, other than he had an ancestor who was a consul in the second century and, you know, general and did a few things. So like, if you go to Google Publius Galba, you get the ancestor. So he seems to be fairly not that important, but he comes from one of those longstanding consular families. And um, the final one is Lucius Cassius. So I'm assuming that's a Lucius Cassius Longinus, which is the longstanding family name. Um, there was, again, one who had been consul. He was consul in 107 with Marius. This is the ancestor. Um, and he himself is... And I mean, he's got some like minor governmental positions and different roles at different times. At one point, I think he's, I mean, so he is in the Senate and his brother, um, who's Gaius Cassius Longinus, is um, actually one of the conspirators who's involved in murdering Caesar. So you can see from that, like just what I've just said, all those other candidates have those ties within the Senate and have had previous ruling 
family members and other family members who are quite important and 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 all of these things um and this is rose don't so it's just them um and when they're discussed and they're not discussed for very long but they are, are discussed for a bit when they're discussed basically it's like they're being just torn apart for how crap they are um <laughs> Really, he actually Quintus refers to them. So he says, um, he's taking, he's saying, like basically, like how how shit these candidates are. So like, even if they come from these aristocratic, you know, senatorial families, um, he calls, he says, two of them are assassins from boyhood. They're both libertines. They're both paupers, um, and they're just the kinds of competitors you should be having because you're a man of energy and industry and a blameless life and an eloquent speaker. So you'll you'll be fine against these guys because they are just such wastes of space. I'm waiting for Alex to put in a, a comment here. <laughs> <laughs> douche they both sound like douches it's like a snapshot of douchiness in ancient rome uh, <laughs> i mean i'm glad they left it behind because it means like we learn stuff but yeah, yeah just no like, i mean wait, they but, do not sound like the kind of people you'd want to go for a drink with do they no no i don't think that'd be very much fun um, but at the same time, you know, like that kind of invective against the candidates is exactly what we see. Like that's the standard in a lot of speeches, but also in the in the legal cases. So like in the law courts, which, of course, you know, Marcus is that's how he makes his career is either defending or prosecuting people like you don't win based on the law. You you establish that your client is better than the other one like a better person this all comes down to image everything comes down to image so like for example um there's a there's a there's a case year, a number of years later where cicero is defending a man who's accused of stealing gold and trying to poison a woman and rather than go like present any facts about, you know, well, actually we haven't really found the gold and we don't really know what's going on and what was it. He basically spends, it's, this is in the pro Kylo, he basically spends half the time shame, like slut shaming the woman. I mean, there's no other way. He basically just like, oh, she sleeps with anybody, even possibly including even, like he makes this like slip where he refers to her brother as her husband and like, oh, well, that's just because, you know, I confuse the two, like he's suggesting they're incestuous. Um, you know, he just tears her apart for being a whore, basically. And I mean, this is, you know, and again, like an aristocratic upstanding woman. Yes, she has not the great, his reputation according to our historical sources but you know Cicero is one of them but it's like rather than go oh there's no way like my client did this thing because he was somewhere else at the time or he has an alibi it's like no let's just tear apart the main person who's accusing him so if we completely tear apart the character of the person accusing him then clearly my client is is fine and that's the way they did stuff so I mean like if you think about um stuff like again and it's again Cicero like the the Philippics, which are all of the speeches he gives against Mark Antony. Um, this is much later. This is like after uh, after Caesar's assassination and everything else. I mean, that's the style is to just like tear character, tear tear somebody's character apart. 
so yeah, that's what they that's what Quintus is doing is he's basically just going, well, all the other candidates are shit. You're so much better than them. <laughs> like you say, human nature hasn't changed. Um, why make an educated argument when you can just trash your opponent? Well, yeah, it's it's mudslinging. It's classic like political mudslinging. So our third section is uh, advice on canvassing. Yeah, so it's basically like this is how you should get people to vote for you. And it goes through, it kind of is in sort of two different sections, that third bit. Um, And the first bit is like people you already know. And the second bit is people you don't know yet. Um, So there's um, a whole lot of stuff about how to... make friends, um, how to, who the right people are to get on side. So like not just people who might already be senators or consuls or, or magistrates of a high level, um, but also to look for, so Romans, Romans voted in blocks that are called tribes. So find out who's in charge of each tribe and go make friends with them because they'll influence the other people in their tribe. Use all of those people. So anybody who you've ever done a favor, call in those favors they owe you. Use your networks of your neighborhood, your um, any like collegia or, you know, like guild or religious group you belong to, any kind of group that you're part of, call on those other people in the same group. Um, make sure you actually use your, there's even a bit like use your family, use your slaves and freedmen because they will talk to other slaves and freedmen. So make sure you treat them well and are behaving a certain way at home because people will talk. So it's even like using those, you know, using the slaves in your household. Um, no doubt that probably also includes the women of your household, even though it doesn't say that explicitly, but you know. Everybody talks, right? And women's networks are certainly something that are hugely important. Um, and we see that play out actually in in kind of later in the Republican periods, like at the end of the Republican period. It's the female networks that are doing all of the stuff to try, like kind of behind the scenes after Caesar's assassinated and trying to work stuff out and all of those things. And we do get some evidence of that on, um, you know, in other like other letters of Cicero and things like that. But but then he also goes through all the stuff about like, this is how, these are the people that you should cultivate in other places outside of Rome. And um, when you meet new people, make sure you remember their names. There's a whole thing about remembering names and whether you have the mind to remember all of the names of the random people you meet, or you need some slave or freedman whispering names in your ear because you can't remember them. And how best you can, you should try and remember people's names because people like that. They like that you recognize them. Can so I yeah, just, it's all that seg- kind of... I'm sorry? Sorry, I was just going to say, can I just quickly segue? You mentioned yeah. women. Uh, is there an unjustified assumption that women have no agency in voting an electoral process because they can't vote and is it wrong yeah absolutely there's a total there's a total um kind of some scholars more than others who i completely disagree with um who basically discounted um women but also people like i've just mentioned like slaves and some of the you know 
lesser, less uh, wealthy freedmen and things like that is not having any interest or say or influence and the evidence we have certainly from places like Pompeii is completely against that. We have women, we have all sorts of um, who, who put up electoral notices on their own without men. Um, and there has been some study of the texts themselves and go, actually, there's no formulaic difference. They also seem to be done by professional sign writers. Um, there's nothing to suggest that they aren't just as important. We have some candidates who are supported by multiple women, um, so there's clearly there's clearly women are taking at least on a small town level, and I mean I don't see why we can't extrapolate that further on the larger le level. You know, this is one of the things that people can be so interesting and yet so problematic about Pompeii is we have so much evidence there because of you know Vesuvius and the eruption and the way things were preserved. But then people act like that's somehow unique to Pompeii and like, oh, well, this just happens in small towns. Well, no, actually, we have lots of literature that suggests there was tons of political graffiti in Rome itself. It just doesn't survive to us. You know, so there's no reason to say that there weren't women doing similar things in Rome, in Ostia, in, you know, Aquileia, in anywhere else. We just don't have physical evidence and it's that whole thing of of you know again that and not being logical about it like just because if women are engaged in politics in Pompeii which they very clearly are then to assume that they're not also engaged elsewhere is just stupid but you know we all we all know we all there and I mean yes different levels and all of those kinds of things but I mean like we all take interest in politics even if we can't vote you know, I lived in the UK, I've lived in the UK for more than 20 years now, and I've only been able to vote for about six or seven of them. That does not mean that I wasn't interested in politics. That does not mean that I didn't pay attention. You know, it was simply a matter of not being a citizen yet, you know, so that changes things. That doesn't, I, I'm, well, I have the ability to vote now, but that hasn't, my interest in politics has not changed a single bit from before I could vote to now. Well, that's that historian told then, isn't it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yes. They one nil Virginia. I want to add one comment quickly before we move on to the next question, that the idea of getting people onto your side, you know, women and slaves and everything else, there we did a podcast with Mary Beard and I read through her book. I mean, I'm moving from the Republic to the Empire now, but yeah. it's this idea that it's it's been, you know, people don't think it actually happened, but it was written down that uh, Emperor Augustus, every time he'd enter the Senate, he would spend the, like the whole two hours greeting every single senator. And then and when he'd leave, he'd greet and he knew everyone by name and everyone by face. And it's this sort of good public image that you have of yourself to to, to keep people interested and on your side and things like that. And And it kind of works, even though it's probably not true. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, like, that's one of the things that when... I mean, going back to the whole debate about the authenticity of the text itself and who wrote it, one of the other things is there's this, like, throwaway line about um, using, you know, the, the slave or whoever to remind you of names. And Quintus makes some comment, like, Marcus doesn't need this. And so the sort of this has been interpreted to be like, well, oh, because 
we know he gave all these speeches and he's so famous for his orations and blah, 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 blah. So maybe he just has a really good memory and he's really good at remembering everybody's name. So he didn't need one. And then it goes on this whole debate about how important it was and whether it actually looks bad if you need somebody to whisper somebody's name in your ear. And I suppose it's the same thing that like, okay, this is going to sound like a really, really weird example, but today in the UK, like when people, you know, when like sports people or, you know, actors or anybody else who like this, who, who gets some kind of honors from, I was about to say from the queen, um, from the king, <laughs> you know, like in, it like, you know, gets made a dame or sir or whatever else for something that they've done, like contribution to sport or theater or education or whatever it is. And whenever they're interviewed afterwards, they're always like, well, whoever, whichever royal it was that gave them the thing knows who they are and talks to them a bit about why they've gotten the thing. Right. And so they all feel like, oh, this person, you know, King Charles, Prince William, whoever knows who I am and knows something about me. And like, that's a really gratifying thing. Right. You know, there's somebody with like notes on a like whispering in their ear just before that person comes up. Right. I mean, they're being prompted, but it is that connection of feeling like, oh, this person knows who I am. They know what I've done. And and Quintus actually even talks about that. He talks about um, how there'll be young men who will come to the house of politicians, like as part of the morning greeting ritual thing, but how they'll go to lots of different people's houses because they're trying to make up their minds. And he actually says, like, talk to them and make them know that you've seen them and you recognize them and that you're interested in them. And they'll remember you for doing that and they'll stop going to the other people's houses and they'll be yours. So Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, I mean, so like that whole story that, you know, Mary Beard might've said about, Augustus greeting every senator by name and taking the time to do that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, whether, like you said, whether that's true or not, the perception of this this exalted person knows who I am and knows something about me, it's, even if you know that, yeah, there's somebody behind them with, like, note cards going, oh, yeah, and this is this person who did this thing, um, it makes you feel special. You can't help that reaction. Again, we go back to human behavior, right? You can't help that like, oh, I was I was noticed. Yeah, it's the whole handshaking thing with the American presidentials as well, isn't it? The fact yeah. that like the any presidential candidate will not be able to feel his hand by the end or her hand by the end of the uh, campaign trail because it's that fixating on someone's baby, shaking their hands, acknowledging them personally yeah. is part of the deal. And and there's I mean there's evidence that the Romans did did that to some extent because there's this great story um, about oh god I can't find it there's a story of this guy who um, is shaking hands oh yeah so he's shaking hands with somebody. Um, and he, it's it's a guy called uh, Publius Scipio Nascia, and he's standing for edelship. He's really young, and he shakes somebody's hand, and it's some guy who's like a farm worker, so his hands are really rough, like calloused yeah. from the work. And he makes a joke about like, does he like, did he get his hands get that hard because he's been walking on his hands? 
and like everybody gets pissed yeah. off about it um and and basically are just like it caused him to actually be defeated because like the the rural tribes were like oh he's making fun of our poverty so there's a george the fifth one from world war one where um he is at a factory and he sh- this guy he wants to shake hands with this guy and he does and it's a guy it's a worker and the guy l- left a an account of it where he basically says and he's so impressed because his hands were covered in oil he shook the king's hand he got oil all over the king's gloves and george v didn't even flinch he didn't and he just that's a good politician yeah he did the fact that the guy he's like i messed up his gloves and he couldn't have cared less He, he wanted to shake my hand and the guy's dead impressed yeah yeah absolutely that's a good politician. And that's exactly what Quintus is telling Cicero to do. Be the good part. And, and it's really interesting because he makes, and this is one of the things that I find so intriguing. And this goes to that whole, you know, argument about whether or not it's a real text and it doesn't show the Romans or the Cicero's in very good light and all of these things. There's a line where uh, Quintus actually says, um, I think it's when he's talking about friendship and how you can, you know, manipulate people or who you should be try to cultivate friendships with and all these things while you're being a candidate. And he basically says, this thing is what a good man would do. This thing is what a good candidate would do. So he draws that line that he knows they know there's a difference between how you're expected to behave normally and how you're expected to behave when you're a candidate and what will get you elected. I mean, we've already been kind of touching on the idea of modern politics. We might as well just jump into that, really. So, you know, should we actually view Roman politicians with the same sort of cynicism that's more typical of today? Or should we just leave it all in the past? I think, I mean, okay, I'd say there are parallels. I do think there are parallels. Um, I mean, I'd say the handbook itself is could basically be used at any time by anybody. I really, you know, particularly like the last section with all the advice about cultivating networks and friendships and making promises, and even if you don't intend to keep them, and all these other kinds of things, I think are really, um, really work for politics in any place and time. Um, there, there's a difference because, okay, so in in the Roman world, we don't have political parties, and while occasionally an individual might have like a particular issue or thing that they're very much well known for, um, potentially even before they get elected, um in terms of like a platform or a policy, very rarely is that actually something that's happening. There's really nothing about political ideas. Um, It's really more about who is seen as being a good person, a good candidate, who will run things properly. So it's all about that image and that perception of who is a better person and who is more likely to do well. And so in that regard, it really doesn't map on to modern politics because 
I don't think we generally, I mean, there's, there's an aspect of, I mean, there's so such an aspect of, um, popularity of like who you like or who you don't like, you know, I can't tell you during the election in 2020, how many times I heard people say on, on both sides of the ponds, I know Trump isn't qualified, but I just don't like Hillary. Mm. Right. So it's that it it's like, I know Trump will be a disaster, but I just don't like Hillary. And it's kind of like, it's like it doesn't really matter if you like them, you know, on some level, it doesn't matter if there's somebody you want to go have a cocktail with. It's about whether or not they can do yeah. the job. And in, in that sense, that, that aspect still, um, you know, kind of, I think plays out. And the thing that gets me the most, um, the thing that I think is the most most similar is there is this whole bit where Quintus goes on and on about making promises. So if somebody asks you for something, if you can do it, great, say yes, you can do it. Even if you can't do it, maybe you should say yes anyway. And that is because if later, after you're elected, you can't do that thing, what are they going to do? You've already been elected. But if you say no now and piss them off, then they might not vote for you. And I think that's something that maps on really, really well, because how much of people's campaigns is, I'm going to do this thing for you, even though I have no intention of doing it for you. You know, it's 350 million pounds a week to the NH, back to the NHS with Brexit. It's bringing back jobs and making America great again, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean, because I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. Um, you know, it, I mean, Trump did this. He played to places, you know, he kept saying he was going to bring back jobs and things like coal mining. Well, nobody wants coal anymore. So that was never going to happen. And anybody with half a brain would be like, well, no, that's never going to happen. But the people whose job, who were out of work and live in those parts of the country ate it up, you know, because that, that catered to what they wanted and what they needed. And so that idea of saying virtually anything to get yourself elected is something that I think just totally carries across. And maybe I'm being really cynical here about politics generally in, in both time periods, but I do think that there's from the, from what the handbook says, there's definitely, I mean, there is a lot of kind of cynicism in it and just going, say what you need to make friends with people, you know, do whatever you can to get yourself elected. Present yourself in this way so that you are, so I, you know, affable and friendly and authoritative and are going to do everything for people that people want and you'll get elected. Virginia, I love having you on and love your passion, first of all, because I think it's awesome. Love your cynicism. And I've never heard of the electioneering handbook. So this for me has been an eye-opening experience, being able to learn about something new, especially in the Roman period, especially in the Roman Republic. Because I, personally, I prefer the, 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 the emperors. I find that far more uh, exciting than, uh, than, the, than the Republic. But 
we will definitely have you back on because I think we should do some more Pompeii stuff because, well, I never get tired of Pompeii, really. And Alex is, just, <laughs> Alex is going to smash her head against the wall and go, for God's sakes, find something else in Rome. Stop it. Just stop it. No, I'm not because, like, I, I, it does make me laugh because I've been there and when people go, oh, have we not said everything there is to say about Pompeii? Uh, no, it's massive. Don't be a dick. And you yeah. know what? They're, they're, they're digging up new stuff all the time now i mean like there's just been they're they're working in a new region that hasn't been uncovered before and some of it's been and this new villa that was being looted um that they've been working on for the last couple years you know and they found more human remains and they found all kinds of stuff i mean what is it like two two years ago now i mean they found a tomb with an actual skeleton in it there are no tombs with skeletons in pompeii it's completely thrown everything out that we thought we knew about tombs in pompeii oh we have to do that tombs in pompeii oh that would be a really good one because there's there's a couple of tombs that i have anyway no stop it because we're supposed to be wrapping <laughs> we can just go on <laughs> we can just go on we will get you back we will do something fun maybe we can get you and sophie sophie hayes out there right now so we could do something yeah. really fun oh that would be great fun sophie's sophie's amazing right just remind our listeners the name of your which one was it the graves book <laughs> if you oh, the, the... So the Tombs of Pompeii Organization Space and Society. Um, and the book I'm currently writing, I can't remember anything else. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's something People... like it's something like uh what did I call it? How to how to vote in the Roman world. It's it's about political processes in Pompeii and beyond. So there's not I mean, it's not just gonna be stuff like this handbook, but a lot of things like um I've got all sorts of things about like literacy and like actual the actual physical act of like voting. Like, what do you write down? How do you do that? Where in the city do you do that? Because we don't actually know for places like Pompeii where people actually voted um, and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's what I'm working on right now. Well, we'll get you back to do that because we can do something more specific when the book comes out. And yeah. in the meantime, we'll just get you to do some Pompeii stuff because... No, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. We talk more about women in the process just to drive it home as well. I would, I'd love to do... I mean, I've been doing a lot more with women um, recently because I've also been teaching a class on Roman women, which has gotten me thinking more and more about various stuff. So there's all kinds of things about women that we could definitely talk about at some point and kind of perceptions and misconceptions and things about women in the Roman world generally. I'd love to do something with that. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to do Chris's spiel because I never can do Chris's spiel at the end to do with the river and books and bookshops and things like that. So I'm going to leave it at that because I suck at it. Unless Alex can do it. Oh, the one about Jeff Bezos not needing any more money because he's got like enough money to go to space. So buy your books through us instead because we do not categorically do not have enough money to go to space or even to go to the pub right now. So yeah, and obviously Virginia gets her cut as well. But I, oh, oh, by so like a couple of pence Virginia. per book, yeah. I was gonna yeah, say yeah, you know, there is a paperback version now. It's a lot cheaper. <laughs> Oh, yay. Do I need another copy? No, I do not. Uh, no, but for anybody who doesn't have a copy yet, the paperback is considerably less expensive. I'm in. Virginia, thanks so much. Oh, anytime. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.